It's Serdinger time. Hi there. Um, welcome to another Fish on Friday at 6 o'clock British Standard Time. Um, <clears throat> it's a blustery day, said Pooh. Turn the sound down. A blustery day, said Pooh. <coughs> I've got the Veloxes open, so there's a, a breeze coming through from outside. You can hear the wind chimes and the rattling. I actually thought it was going to be raining because uh, rain's got quite a dramatic effect in this building. Um, back in the day when it was kind of the Bonafide studio, there was a lot more insulation in here. And um, for example, the Veloxes that are up above me in the, the, the beam roof, um, they had like quadruple glazing and then we had to change the Veloxes and I got these fancy electronic kind of ones which are great. So you just sit on the couch and you can catch a breeze when it comes in for the southwest. Um, but one of the things, when we took the insulation out on the roof, especially in the bit next door, which is there. You can maybe just see it. Tilts back on the couch. That's, um, that used to be a kind of room with a lot lower ceiling on it. And, uh, oh no, I forgot this as well. Sorry, tech, you know what it is, you know the score. Calm down, calm down, calm down. Yeah. So anyway, the room next door was a kind of, um, it was a, uh, we used to use a lot for recording. It was, it was quite dimmed down at the time. But um, when we opened up, what happened was that Darren, Darren, Hello, Darren. Was, uh, Darren came up and helped us, Sabine Rab, and we, we basically started to strip the ceiling down. And it was a load of insulation, and we decided to, like, okay, let's see what above it. We had to put Velux windows in to let light into this room for it to become a residential building, part of Regs. And we started to, to, to take it down, and it was, uh, we still went, this is brilliant when it was open, and a big open ceiling. So we put these kind of false beams in and things, and, and, and opened up the whole roof space. But back in the day when it was a studio, you couldn't hear anything. But what we did was we turned it into a drum skin. So we have this brilliant effect nowadays. So when it rains really, really hard, and it might happen today, folks, um, when it rains really hard, the, the, the sound on the roof is absolutely incredible. And of course, the wind as well, when, it's, when, it's, when we record here, when we were recording Velchbirds, all the outdoor wind chimes had to be taken down and all, anything that was extraneous noise. And, uh, and I was just praying every day, I'm going, please don't rain, please don't rain. Because you know, great vocal tact, vocal take. We'd have to, I'd have to do the Robert Plant bit that they do on the Led Zeppelin album when the plane comes over. And he goes, no, leave it in, leave it in. So, but it's air digging, it's Fish and Friday. You might see, um, this is not a lighting effect. This is a, this was a Scottish sun effect. Um, I was sitting out in the garden the other day and completely forgot to put my, my wee um, thing on my little super duper mask and head covering simultaneously. And I forgot to put it on and I took a bit of a scorching, which was kind of uh, a bit sore. But, um, and then the other day, this Rab was up helping me, socially distance, of course. And I designed this um, step that I might try and show you later on, but we put a step up to the front bed. I built this set of steps out of basically old breeze block and bits and pieces that were kicking about and I'd sat and drawn the whole thing and measured it and been completely anal about it. So we put this step up as well. So it's been a good day, good week. Doorbell must be Amazon. 
Who is disturbing Fish and Friday here? But, um, it was, uh, like I said, we built the steps and I was, I was in the greenhouse for quite a while because I was bringing all the tomatoes. Then I found out I'd completely oversown all the tomato seed and oversown all the chili seed. And then I got lucky with the germination, then all these extra plants. So in the funny farm kitchen garden, um, we kind of, I put a thing up saying anybody that lived local, if they wanted to come up and do a curbside kind of pick up of some plants. And we got people, and I, I felt like it was like a dealer, you know, come here for some Arnavec red chevies, yeah. Bit of Mexican, mate, got any Thai, got any Thai? Yeah, got a couple of ties over here. Half an ounce of tie for the men. Brilliant. So I've gone from having 68 spares, spare chili and pepper plants to I've now got about, I think, 10 left. But it was great. It was just people coming up the drive and just handing out plants, you know. Not that many. It wasn't a multitude. But it was like, it was about four. Four people came up. <coughs> now, my daughter Tara put in her order, so... She's moving to her new place, and so she's decided she wants tomato plants and chilli plants, which is great. Welcome to the world of gardening, daughter. Um, couple of things. Um, oh, a happy 60th birthday to uh, Andrea, Andrea Packwood. So, Andrea, have a very happy 60th birthday. And uh, I need to thank this other guy. This is another thanks. Kevin Williamson, I really have to thank you for the Erdinger, right? Kevin was very nice and I was surprised and there was a box, or a box arrived at our door and it was 12 bottles of Erdinger that had been sent. So he's watching the show and he sent this across to me. So thank you very much. It's incredibly thoughtful and it's perfect for these long days. So um, we were sitting listening outside on the, the, the patio, but that's it there in front, with the wisteria just coming through, and the wee seats there, and the little water feature. And we were sitting there the other day, and uh, it was um, it was great. We just listened to music. So I was listening to, uh, I just picked some random albums when we were outside just to see what the vibes like, and we were listening to Salif Keita, which I hadn't heard for years and years, and it's just one of those bizarre albums that you never you don't kind of normally pick out. But when we're in the lockdown, we, when we're sitting outside and having a, a beer, and it was Salaf Keita. And then we were listening to a, 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 an album called Hits of the Prohibition. <laughs> and it was great. It was uh, um, many of the Moocher, right? Uh, just, uh, the many, the hi and it was just brilliant, just sitting there in the peace of quiet, the birds in the background, the wind chimes, and music from the Prohibition blaring out the front door. And the neighbours must really wonder, like, you know, kind of what goes on in this place sometimes. Check the feed. Pete Attar, good evening, Derek. Hello. Sinjin Smythe. Where can I get a shirt like that? It's like a prompt, isn't it? Welcome to the, the QC uh, Fish Channel merchandise. Ah, nice shirt, blue. Well, one of the best shades of blue you can get. You know, nice print. It's got leathering on it. These were the two shirts, and we've been sitting on the, these for a while, and uh, and they're going to be released next week. We've been dealing with the the the, the new mail order kind of setup. 
And it's taken a wee bit longer than expected for various reasons, right? One of which was like today, we were already to kind of get it set up. And then Stripe, because we're moving from PayPal across to Stripe, because it's just an easier setup and it's always, and it's cheaper as well, to be honest. It's a lot cheaper than PayPal. So, I mean, for us. And um, so we moved across and we're going, this is it. And it goes, bing, and bureaucracy, the devil's own satanic cowpats, blah, blah, blah. Um, seemingly in September, there's a new rule coming out. So anybody, if you're ordering online in the EU and stuff, then you've got to get two-factor authentication on the on your, your credit card. So when you, you know, with that bit where you put the card in and then they, they send you things to make sure the payment's fine. So that's becoming law in September. But we didn't know about that until we activated, we'd activated the Stripe platform about two weeks, three weeks ago, but we've sent through a live payment on the merchandise page just to test it. Bing! Here's some more bureaucracy for you to deal with, son. And so, send, deal, please. Awful. So, but yeah, so the mail order site will be up and running uh, next week sometime. It will definitely be up and running by next Friday. And I'll post up on Facebook uh, when, it is, when it actually opens. And, um, and these shirts will be on sale on the, the merch site. So we've only got... Uh, I think we've got 2,000 across the across the range that we had, which was obviously before the UK tour. And of course, the UK tour shirts are going to become collectibles. The tour that never was. Catherine Kuzak, heya, heya. Anderson Mendes, Brazil, hello, welcome. Van Isle, British Columbia, Kevin Graham, David Monk, Regisol Lindgren, yeah, ring the bell again, Javier. Monica Franzon, good evening, big man, Linda Dublin. Frank Wars, any chance of getting back on the prom cruise? I've got no idea. I don't even know if what touring's happened, but in all honesty, I don't think any cruises are going to be going on the water next year. I don't think so, in my opinion. I mean, I may be completely wrong, but I mean, I would be a little bit reticent about going on a cruise ship and going away in the Gulf of Mexico. So I don't know what's going to happen. And of course, the cruise lines have been hit really bad. I mean, you know, you look down in the fourth and there's there's cruise ships out there anchored, you know, which is kind of strange. So, regarding the cruise, I don't think so. But it's uh, San Pelo, Brazil, Ricardo Vitti. Uh, I don't Patricio Edwards, Santiago de Chile. Hello, worldwide again. International, international. Oh, last night I had an amazing experience. Right? It was great um, because it was four years ago yesterday that my my football team or the football team I support, Hibernian Football Club in Edinburgh, they won the Scottish Cup for the first time since 1902, right? And it was it had been on our backs for you know forever, you know. I, I mentioned it in one of the previous concessions, but um, we won it in, in 2014, and it was a special weekend for other reasons as well, right? But Last night, I watched this, right? It's probably reversed on the camera, but I watched the Scottish Cup final, Time for Heroes, and it was Hibs against Rangers, where we won 3-2. Uh, and I, I was gonna just, I said, to, I said to Simone, I said, do you mind if I just watch, we'll just edit highlights, edit highlights, which they want. So they just had the full game, so watch the full game, and it was brilliant. I mean, not just the fact that it was the, the Hibs Scottish Cup final and, and stuff like that, but it was just watching football. 
and I knew the result of the game, obviously, right? I knew the result of the game, but I was completely engrossed in watching a game of football on TV and watching him play. It was like, ugh, <laughs> it's nuts. It's that, and I realised I hadn't watched football. I've been avoiding all these kind of reruns of the World Cups and da da da, and even some of the Hibs matches that have been on on BBC Scotland. I've kind of like not been interested, but it was just because it was the fourth anniversary, and I was just amazed. Like football. <laughs> uh, Fabrice Rottier, Mike Freeburn, welcome, mate. My chilies are doing grand, Mike. Really nice, and it's uh, it should be fun, but it's uh, but that's funny farm kitchen garden stuff. This is fish page. This is fish page. Miles McMillan, greetings from Canada. Christis from Corsica. Look at that, Corsica. Uh, Keith Domingo, Paul Bernard, hello from a little village in Belgium. Simon Farquhar, welcome back again. Uh, did I inherit a passion for garden? Did I inherit the, my passion for gardening from my father? No. We had a garden when I was a kid in, um, in Glebe Street. And my mother said this as well. She's gone like, she said, I don't know where it came from. And she was talking about when, you know, she was brought up as a girl in, in, in Jordan. And my, my maternal grandfather, William, uh, he was a, a miner. He worked in, uh, in the pits at Ormiston. And uh, they had like the, some basics out the back. Like they had be growing sections. But I mean, my mum said I was never interested in it. And when they were in Dalkeith, nobody, we had a, there was a garden used to come in just to tidy it up. But I mean, but I, I don't know where it came from. I've got no idea. And it was, I think it's maybe related to, you know, when I was in, I was always good at biology at school. It was, it was my, the three subjects that were my, the, the ones I was best at were history, which interested me the most, um, biology and English, that was my three kind of majors. So, and biology sent me into this forestry thing that happened after school because I didn't know what I was going to do. And my dad knew somebody who bought petrol or he knew a friend who knew somebody and I ended up working at the, the Northern Research Station uh, for the Forestry Commission. And I was working in the genetics section. And I think maybe that's where it, it, it came from. I don't know, but I mean, I remember mixing compost and doing all the, you know, all the wee bits and pieces that I had to do with growing plants and then, and then being around trees. And I was in forestry, well, I was involved with forestry for, uh, what was it, three years? Yeah, three years, four years, one, two, four years, including a year at college. So it was like, and I think maybe the, the botanics and, and that kind of stuff, that was kind of what got me interested in it. But, um, it's just crept up on me. And Steve Vance says, Hi, Steve. I know you're watching. Um, it was uh, Steve Vance. He suddenly, he's, he's like pestering me for seeds. It's like, you got seeds, mate? Got any seeds? Any, any like, tomato seeds? And I'm going, I'm going to get nobbled. Somebody's going to be listening to these phone calls going like, this guy's, what, what's that, chilies? Is that like something to do with Coke? Or like, you know, is it, you want to sell tomatoes? Is that, you know? So Steve's going, got any seeds, mate? And then, now Steve's really in it. He's buying a greenhouse. He's digging up his garden. You know, I think he's looking at annexing the neighbour's house, his garden. And he's, he's become an absolute fanatic. And it does creep up on you, right? You start off, you grow a tomato, you eat your own tomato, and then you go, oh. Then you, somebody gives you a homemade beetroot, a, a homegrown beetroot, bam, that's you, done, you're in. And, then you, and the next thing, you're boring people to death on a tour bus or whatever, right? 
Okay, Lori Fairweather. Oh, Scotland Holland 78 on BBC Scotland later. I can never watch that, that 78 match without thinking about Trainspotting <laughs> and the missing video. Steve Graham, hi Fish, Michael Van Reenen. Script Deluxe arrived today. Thanks, Simone. Good. I'm glad you got it. Right. Joe Wallace from York. Sunny Norfolk. Fee, Fee Myhill. Oh, I've got a question for you, I think. Let's do one. Uh, all right. I saw this. This was kidding. I thought a big, big, good one. This is from Scott Frew. Greetings from deepest, darkest South Lanarkshire. Question for Fish. It's well known you're a big football fan, but how did it feel to pull on the strip of the mighty Fulchester United FC? How did you and Billy the Fish get on? And is it true you invited him to sing backing vocals and songs for the Mirror in return for getting you signed for the team? Now there's one. How that all happened. For those not in the know, right, Viz was a magazine that came out in the, the 80s, I think it was. Stanley. And it was, it was a comic, but all the characters were all kind of, um, they, they it wasn't a children's comic. It was, it was pre-adult and it was uh, Fulchester United had, uh, it, was, it was daft. It was absolutely daft, stupid, you know. But it was, it was really funny and it was quite, um, it kind of, as, as a comic, it was, it was in adult territory. You know, it was, um, uh, Johnny Fartpants was one of the characters and I can't, I can't remember them all. But I used to buy it on quite a regular basis. And uh, they had this player, it was, um, was, it, was he a goalkeeper? I can't remember, Billy, Billy the Fish. And it was an actual fish-like creature and all the kind of little balloons, it was like the amazing fish-like creature, blah, blah, blah. And Phil Chester united all these crazy people, but Billy the Fish always saved the day. He was at Roy of the Rovers, but he was called Billy the Fish. And this fish-like creature, da da da. Phil Chester united that went through this. It was a kind of take on Roy of the Rovers. Anyway, so, takes a vape before he goes into the next bit. I was somewhere in France. I can't remember. It could have been Nancy. It was on the Clutching and Straws tour. And you're going, how the hell does this all relate to a comic? Right? I'm in Nancy. It's after show. Everybody's very, very, very drunk. And um, <laughs> we ended up playing striptease Trivial Pursuit in the back of the bus. We're... Uh, with a couple of French girls. Well, I'm not saying who's involved, right? It was just a laugh. There was nothing There was nothing completely naughty going on. It never went into Van Halen, Motley Crue territory by any stretch of imagination. But it was Stripjack, Trivial Pursuit, with <laughs> two French girls who couldn't speak English, right? Go figure, right? I was not the master wizard behind this idea, right? It wasn't my idea even in the first place. I just went along with our guys because it was a great laugh, right? And I want to stress that nothing happened. Absolutely nothing, apart from a lot of drunken people being naked, right? And during this thing, I got kind of bored with this trivial pursuit. I mean, you know, you're asking somebody who can't speak English, you know, name the character, name a character, who is Dixon the Doc Green? You know, it's like... <laughs> so... I kind of leave the bus with the characters up the upstairs and I walk across and I'm very drunk, right? And I'm carrying a bottle of Jack Daniels, 
right? And I'm also starting to look naked, right? And we had two buses at the time, right? There was the band bus and the crew bus, and we kind of intermingled, obviously, right? But the crew bus was sitting there waiting on the lighting guys to load out the, the last trusses or whatever, right? And I went across, and as I walked across, right, Privet Hedge, who was our sound engineer, took a photograph of me, right? And I was kind of aware in my drunken stupor that there were people taking photographs, but I didn't give a shit, right? So, this is all forgotten about. I leave the band, right? And then during the fracas after it, right? About, I think it was about a year after, I got Viz Magazine, right? And there, in Viz Magazine, is a picture of me with my tattoo hanging out. I think I actually had my hand covering it, right? But there was a photograph of me naked in Viz Magazine, but like, da da da, the usual stuff, whatever. And I went, and I was, I was like, what? Where did they get the photograph? And I found out that it was most probably, and I think it's actually been owned up to, right, by Private Hedge, who was our sound engineer at the time. It was actually his photograph that somebody decided to post to Viz magazine to basically take the piss out of fish, right? And it was all, you know, I think Viz were a little bit, maybe we went a bit too far with that one. But anyway, I ended up phoning up Viz Magazine, da-da-da, right? And what we asked for, right, we said we'd like to use the cartoon. And we got, that was what happened. We actually got the, I was mentioned, I think it was, I was actually mentioned in, the, in Viz Magazine a couple of times. But the, ma the guy that was, I can't remember his name, the guy that was the owner of Viz Magazine turned out to be a huge fan. And he said he'd love to do it. And he gave me permission. And the guy that did the, um, um, that, that, that did the actual characters for Full Chest, the United Billy the Fish, did a thing and it was like Derek the, Derek, Derek the Fish. And if you've got a t-shirt, I think I've got some somewhere, but if you've got it, send a photograph and I'll try and get something blown up to show the people that don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But that all came about because Privet Hedge took a naked photograph of me after a, a, a strip jack trivial pursuit game. And that's how I ended up with his magazine with a t-shirt, Derek the Fish joins Full Chess United. Bada-bing. Dick Drake, good evening all. Alan Cawthorn, Shaken Stevens. Yeah, Shaken Stevens played for Full Chess United. Billy the Fish had a... Oh, I've lost it. Eduardo de Castro, hello from Brazil. Marcelo Soz, hello. Uh, David Thatcher, Buster Gonad and his infeasibly large testicles. That was another character in this magazine. Good night, Dick. Fish from Peru. Hello, fish from Peru. That's a fish from Peru. That's Harrington Bear. Yeah. Oh, where did you go? Ronald Cacheres Foton. Hello. Hello there. Robin Johnson, Sacre Bleu. Les Neely. Oh, it's Richard James Scott from Eyemouth. Hello. Just down the road there. Jan Daniels is good. Twisted Lemon, great. It's American. Linda Iverson Mosa. Gary Townsend tells me about Private Edge, Alan Cawthorn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've not seen Private for ages. That was one of the things when I left the band. 
there was, it was like, a, it was a divorce. It was like, there was a lot of emotions kicking around, a lot of things getting said by a lot of people. And one of the, the, the there was a lot of kind of um, friendships and I'm talking specifically within the crew, I, you know, within the crew, it was difficult because when we, we, we split, it was kind of, people felt they had to go with one side or the other. And Privet was a guy, went with Marillion. And um, I'd kind of hope, hoped that Privet would have come out with me, but you know, that was part of the thing at the time. But Privet lived in there and blah, 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 and for whatever reason, and there was never any hassle. And Privet went, eventually went on, left Marillion, and, and he was, I think he did the sound for Genesis, and, um, which was ironic in the piece. But, uh, but yeah, and he see lives down the road. And the last time, the last time I got a message from Privet was a couple of years ago, and he was in, I think it was Tel Aviv in Israel, and Elliot Ness, who lives out in Israel now, had met Privet, at a, 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 they were doing a festival and, and Privet was doing the sound. It's a weird old world. Go uh, go away, go away, go away. Oh, David Baroni, get real. Right. Gabriela De Canis, Lavinia, hello, David Ovi. Robin Smith, no names of Padrill. Are there many songs linked by the same person's subject? Yeah, there are. Not going into that. It was funny, again, I just finished the Phil Collins book today. It's, it's not that I'm a very slow reader. It's just that I've been kind of dipping in between a couple of books. And uh, it was interesting reading the Phil Collins book about all the, the, the bits and pieces and... and how face value came to be written and and who it was written about and stuff and it was an interesting it was a very interesting autobiography one of the well, it was one i really liked there's this there's two or three i really like and that just that dipped up and i thought i liked the way he handled it and he was he was very open and i was i was actually quite shocked myself when i read some of the stuff to do with his later life and um but it was it was an interesting read and i, I loved what he was writing about uh singers and you know the, the pressure on the voice and he was talking about the different drumming and having to get his his hands warmed up and and and, and hardened up for the for, for the shows and he was talking about the voice and saying like how difficult it was and how you know how he felt going out on a stage when he knew his voice wasn't 100 percent and having to take those cortisone neocortisone steroid shots and what they did to you and stuff and it was the first time i'd actually ever ever kind of read anything about a, a singer actually openly discussing that. I mean, I've heard mention, it's mentioned, but Phil went into this whole thing about, you know, talking about how it, it changed his attitude and his emotions and things and over a period and, and the, 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 other, the other downside of uh, taking steroids, which a lot of people don't know about. But anyway, so, Darren Lane, hello, Fish for Liverpool. Gary Jones, militant and student grant. Robin Wick from Norway, Frode Christensen from Norway. Gary Lee, sunny, windy, windy west side of it, but it is blowy out there. It's really blowy, really blowy. But I'd lined up some James last, I'll play that later. And I've got, um, I'm gonna play another wee section of Roads of Damascus. I'll move on. Uh, Paul Thomas, as far as you know, did any of the artists you worked with at Chateau Marouat do their versions of the songs you wrote with them? As far as I'm aware, nobody did. Um, Incomplete, which was written at uh, Chateau Marouat, 
that was the duet where uh, Liz Troy, who'd been involved with, that was when we wrote it, we wrote it as a duet. And um, th that's the only version. I find it strange, but um, in some ways, you know. I thought Tilted Cross might have showed up in it, because I, I love that song. I think that's a really beautiful song. It was written, it was, that was all about uh, the mines in Bosnia. That, that's another story, but it's like, um, Uh, damn, sorry, sorry, sorry. Alex Stewart, remembering all the remembering all the nights you've played in Glasgow, did stepping on the stage of the Apollo 84 leave a lasting memory? Yes. The memory was of great fear. Right? The Apollo was like, um, I'd, I'd been to see gigs there, you know, I'd seen Bad Company there, I'd seen Yes, you know, and... You know, I, I, it was famous, it was a very famous gig. I mean, you know, internationally it was a famous gig. And, you know, people talk about when the Faces played there and the Who and Zeppelin, I mean, anybody who was anybody played the Apollo and then suddenly we were there. What a tip. It had been, it had been just left. There was like rats and all sorts of shit. It was dripping water because the roof hadn't been fixed. I mean, the property was, was falling apart. Nobody was investing money, so we're in there. And there was literally water dripping down through, and some, the guy took me up. He said, do you want to see up upstairs? And he took me all the way up, up the, the, the top of the Apollo. And it was incredible. Like, the, the, the top floor was soaking wet. And um, it was just, in Scottish parlance, manky, right? And... Um, and the stage, that was where the fear was, right? Because when you walked out, you, you, you walked out on the stage and it was actually a, a quite a, 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 it wasn't, it didn't have a big depth to the stage, which meant from the, the back wall to the actual front, you know, it was, it was quite narrow. It was, it was wide and it was narrow. So what they did was they put an extension and it was just like scaffolding poles and bits of wood and things. But the drop on the other side, it was a, uh, it was a good two metres, two and a half metres, probably more. And um, I think when you stood on these planks, because all the monitors were put on the, the planks of wood on the scaffolding, and the scaffolding kind of hung over the stage like that, you know? And, uh, and the guy said, don't go uh, too close to the front, mate. It's, it's a wee bit sugary, right? And that was my abiding memory of, you know, that side of the Apollo. The other side of the Apollo was the crowd on the night. It was like when we played it, it was absolutely jumping. And I'd been on the balcony on the Apollo when it was jumping and it actually moved, right? And I remember looking out from the stage, uh, you know, when we were doing Margaret or whatever it was, and you were just, you actually could visibly see the balcony moving and you're thinking, <laughs> this you know, you think, if this goes down, what do you do, right? But yeah, the Apollo was an incredible place, incredible gig. And it was a, it was a real shame that it got knocked down. I remember standing outside the Apollo, and uh, it's something I kind of, one of these is why I can relate. But I remember going to see Yes, and I remember standing outside the Apollo in, in, in the pouring rain, and uh, waiting to get an autograph. It's why I, I sympathise sometimes, right? And I stood outside in the pouring rain waiting for uh, Yes to come out. 
and uh, and I was soaked to the skin. And when they came out, security went, <laughs> and they all went woof in a limo and away. <laughs> Excuse me. So yeah, I sympathise. I understand, right? But you know, so I, yeah. So I remember being a bit outside the Glasgow Polo, hanging about for that. So uh, that was a good gig, by the way. I was a Parallels too. I think it was. Yeah, Parallels. Uh, Mark Killingham, Mark as a fellow hippie, did you ever get to see Georgie Best play on his short stay? And was he like, unfortunately, I moved to Newcastle? I saw him a couple of times, and uh, you kind of you, you used to watch him on the, the pitch, and he just amble about, do nothing for like you know, eighty-seven minutes, you know, or very little, you know, we touches, we bits and pieces, but then like. It was just, you know, well, I'm here, you know. And then it was like he had to do his designated kind of George Best bit. And then every game, there'd be one or two moments of absolute magic where he'd just go like, this is what I can do. Za, 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 dunk. You know, George Best. He had loads of stories about him from guys that were up here and things. And, you know, but but it was, it was a clever move. It was, you know, back in the day, it was like bringing George Best to Hibs. I mean, although it was... You know, people just came along because they wanted to see George Best. You know, I mean, it was like they want to see Hibs, but you, they just want to see George Best play, and it, it worked. It, it was it was a really clever move by by Hibs. But um, you know, but I never met him. Never met him. Jim Atkinson, Fat Slags, the Fat Slags. That's another one of the the Viz characters. Check out online. You can Google it and just Viz magazine. V I Z Viz magazine. Gavin Hill, first ever concert was Queen with Marillion supporting in Colin in 86. What are your favourite memories? Oh, here we go. Okay. I had so many questions about Queen, blah, 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 blah. Um, oh, where are we at? Where are we at? Andrew Harbin, not quite a question. Tell us about singing Tutti Frutti with Freddie and Queen of Mannheim in 86. Gary Dixon, one time, one week, can you give us experience of touring with Queen, blah, blah, blah. Mark Skinner, remember the Queen Tour question you promised to cover on a future broadcast? Okay. Right. I'm not going to go into the whole thing because it's like, there's a lot of stuff that you don't even need to know about. But, um, I'd, I'd never, Queen were on, on EMI and, you know, we never, we never met when, when we, were, when we were in Yimai in the early days in the kind of 82, 83 period. We never really met, but um, I bumped into Roger Taylor and I think we were, it was at a club and uh, it was called the Embassy Club. It was just up from Oxford Circus, I seem to remember, near Piccadilly Vibe. You know, it was in that area, right? I can't remember because it was very, very, very drunk, right? And I bumped into Roger, and we got on really well. And he was a, he was a big fan of Marillion, and, and I think he knew Ian as well. Anyway, we kind of became we, we kept on meeting up, and um, and because we were saying EMI, and at the time in '86, we were Marillion were kind of we come off Misplaced Shelter, so we were a, a pooling band. I mean, we could we could pull, and. Um, and Queen knew that, and Queen's management knew that. And I was, there, there was another thing with Queen, with the Highlander movie, because Queen eventually did the, the, the Highlander stuff, that they talked to Marillion about, there was another wee connection in there. 
but Roger and I were friends, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And um, Queen were going out on the Magic the, the magic Tour and it was suddenly we got offered the shows. And we only got offered, we got offered the, the, the shows where they, they, they needed kind of a bit of backup because they were big gigs. It was like the, 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 the Pal, the Pal, the Hippodrome, whatever it was in Paris, Mannheim uh, and Berlin. Um, and it was kind of, they needed us to kind of, you know, bolster the bill, I think it's called. But we'd, I'd never really met the guys, you know, and it was like, it was all set up. So the first gig was in Paris. And uh, <laughs> the first gig was in Paris. And um, there's a lot of stories. I can't do them all. I can't do them all. But the night before the gig, we were um, we were in a hotel and we were all in the, the same hotels and it was like it was agreed that you know they would have a, a kind of like a little a, a mini get together right and it was going to be um, it was the EMI access stuff so basically Marilyn were taken down to meet Queen and uh, and it was the first time I met Brian and Brian and I got on like a house and fire we ended up having this long dense talk about South Africa and apartheid and did it as you expect me to do and. And Brian, and I loved the guy. I thought he was, he was great. He was brilliant to talk to. And uh, John Deacon was there, sitting on his own. Um, Freddie wasn't there. He was away doing what Freddie did. And, uh, I, and I think Roger popped in for a bit. But um, I remember, I'm sitting talking with Brian, and Peter, Peter Wawas had had a few, and he went up with John Deacon, and he, he was like, you know, so what kind of bass do you play? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and kept on asking about bases. And John Dickens got, look, mate, like, just, you just leave us alone, right? Just, just leave us alone, mate, you know? Nice to meet you, thanks, right? And then five minutes later, Peter be back going like, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I played at Warwick, blah, 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 or whatever it was, and, da, da, da. and John Dickens got, look, mate, can you just leave it? It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm here, you know, just, I'm doing my own business, can you just leave me? And he had no idea that Pete was the bass player in Marillion, right? And Pete came up again and he goes, look, mate, we just fuck off. <laughs> And it was like, oh, no. And it was like, it was, it was like, oh, no. And, and um, the John Deacon, the guy's guard, the next day apologised, I'm sorry, but I said, I didn't know who you were at the time. <laughs> it's like, that was kind of the kickoff. Anyway, by the time we were getting 86, things were a, l a little bit fractious within the band, you know, within, within our band, right? So... I had a great time. I met the, the Queen guys. I got on great with John Deacon, got great with Brian, Roger and Utah, blah, blah, blah. Never met Freddie, et cetera, et cetera. We go to the gig the next day and Queen have got their big tent, right? And the thing was, I knew all the, the, the security guys that were around Queen. They were all guys that had worked in the Hammersmith audience, which is another little question I'll come on to later. They all, I knew them. They were all lads that I knew, you know, and I knew all the different minders. There were a team that went about a lot. Anyway, by the bys. Middling are up in the top end and another encampment, right? And who'd come across to see us, but I can't remember his name, but it was, he used to manage Pendragon, right? And uh, he was across, he was a big Queen fan, big Middling fan, da da da. So we were all there. And another really funny story was that there was a guy called Neil Glover, right? Was it Neil Glover? Neil. And uh, Neil was a ginger-haired scouse guy, and he was a beautiful bloke. And he was Ian Mosley's ex-drum roadie, right? 
And we knew him. He'd been out on, on the road with us as well. He, he toured with us a couple of times. And bang, he's Roger Taylor's drum roadie, right? And we're going, ah, oh, brilliant, how you doing? Da, da, da. He's like, yeah, how you doing, Roger? <laughs> so we invited him into our little encampment up from the major palace that was the Queen encampment. Why don't you pop in ours for a drink? And we're sitting there swallowing it away, blah, 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 da, da, da. So is Neil, off he goes, here we go, da, da, da. Pished, right? And he's going, ah, you're <laughs> So we go on stage and, you know, we're, we're doing our bit, right? And we went down really well, you know, and it was, I mean, considering, because, I mean, France has never been kind of a big place for us. I mean, Paris was always good, but, I mean, we played to a lot of people, which is one of the reasons why we accepted to go on the bill of these Queen gigs as well, because it was like we were getting through to a lot of people we couldn't otherwise reach. So we do a great gig, we come off the stage, and then Queen go on, right? And Neil had carried on. <laughs> and um, during the Queen set, there was this bit where basically the band all leave, right? And Roger comes off the kit, right? And his drum roadie, the faithful Neil, goes up and he cleans all the skins, all the, the drum skins of sweat and, and sets the cymbals up, checks all the bits, puts his drums in. That's what Neil is supposed to do during this little area where Brian's going. <laughs> so Neil goes on to the kit and he's up there off his face, right? And Ian Mosley told me about Neil before because Ian said that on the last day of the tour, like, he'd given Neil a bottle of whiskey before the gig, and he said it was the worst thing he could have done. He said, because Neil <laughs> drank the bottle of whiskey before the gig, and Ian ended up throwing drumsticks, or actually throwing a bottle at him at the side of stage because he was, like, ignoring what Ian was saying. And I'm saying, no more about that, right? Anyway, we're back in Paris. We're at the racetrack in Paris. Brian's up there doing his solo. Neil's behind the kit, off his face, and he's basically throwing drumsticks at the audience. You <laughs> And Roger's got to go back on the kit because Brian's come at the end of his bit. And Roger's seemingly going up to him. Come on, Neil. Uh, can, can we move? Can we move, please? Roger's a really nice man, right? C could you, could you possibly... Neil, will you fuck off? Will you just fuck off? Fuck you. I'm all right. Next thing, security. <laughs> Neil's hauled off, right? And, uh, and Roger's, Roger told me this later. He said, you know, he said, I was fucking so fucking angry. And he said, like, he completely fucked up. And he's like, you got, and I told him, like, he's pissed and I warned him. But, uh, and he said, I went up and I said, I was going to fire him. And he said, I just saw the eyes. It was like, sorry. And he said, I saw these big eyes. And he says, like, he goes, I'm really sorry, Roger, it won't happen again. And he said, I had to forgive him. <laughs> Neil was brilliant. Anyway, so after the gig in Paris, so Queen have got their own encampment. We've got our own encampment. Queen have been off stage. They've done amazingly, as Queen always, always did stroke do. Right? And, um, and uh, I'd been invited down to the Queen camp, right? But I only had the pass that said, you know, encamp other encampment, right? I did, you know, I didn't have the full, like, you know, come to the palace, right? It was like, you know, dodgy pit, right? But 
the guys had said, just come down and just ask for us, we'll let you in, right? So um, I'm there, everybody's drinking in our little gypsy encampment, blah, 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 and I'm going, I'm going down to the, the Queen thing, right? And they're going, the guys, the rest of the building goes, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be coming down, right? Da, da, da. So um, I went there and I was with the, the manager of Pendragon. Now, the manager of Pendragon, right, who was a really nice guy, a big music fan, and he was, he, was, he was just a really nice bloke, and he was just... He was backstage at this festival, so he was like going, wow, right? And he's a former milkman, right? Like he, used to, he, was, he was, in fact, I think he was a milkman when he was, he was looking after Nick and the boys, right? So anyway, I said, come on to me. So we'll go down to the Queen camp. So I took him with me, right? And of course, we walked down to the, the Queen zone, right? Walk up and there's the security guy. He says, hi, Fish, how you doing? No problem, how's things? I says, is it all right if the two of us go in? He goes, ah, no problem, in you go. So we, we walk in and we're in there and blah, blah, blah. And we're having a couple of drinks. So I jumped, get on fine. Did they see Freddie or anything, blah, blah, blah. And then we end up drinking with Roger and Brian. Roger goes away and it's like, we're going, and everybody's emptying out. And then we realize that we're like miles away from the center, right? And I kind of know where we're staying, right? And I knew there was a party after, right? I, I knew there was a party in town. And I'm going, how, how are we going to get get there, right? And so I said to Brian, I said, uh, I said, uh, Brian, he said, we don't have, we need a lift. <laughs> I, said, he said, I said, do you know, can you help us get in the town? He said, yeah, yeah, come on, on you come, on you come, get in there. In the back of the limo, me and the milkman and Brian May, right? And that's it, right? And then we've got the, the driver's for and then past the bar steel, we've got motorcycle outriders going, I'm going, this is great, this is brilliant, right? Brian May, milkman, me, Chauffeur driven limo, heading towards a party, into the centre of Paris, da da da, down one of them wee alleyways somewhere in the Pagal, right, da da da, and there's the nightclub, and there's about 150, 200 punters, like all outside the club, because Queen are having a party, and when Queen are having a party, everybody wants to be there, right? So, I get out the limo, and I go up to the door, because it's like, I've not back, I said, excuse me, you know, da da da, we come in. And the guy's going, oh, wait, 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 wait. and then Brian gets out the car. And as soon as they see Brian, everybody's going, Brian, Brian, Brian. <laughs> I went, come on. Six foot five, jock, big voice. All right, you'll stand back, please. Right. So I've got Brian with the milkman following, right? And we're coming up to security, and the guy's going, sorry, you can't come in. I says, mate, this is Brian May, right? It's Brian May. And he's like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. So we go in, I get Brian, I'm, I'm Brian's security guy now, right? So. Go down the stairs and we go down to the, the bottom bar area and there's like a big underground kind of, kind of cellar area, right? And there's a bunch of those little tables, little round tables that have got the individual spotlights that come right down at the centre of the table. There's about 10 of them all scattered about, right? And then there's a big long table, right? And at the big long table, right? There was like, um, there's like John Taylor of Duran Duran and his missus, and there's a couple of other people that I knew. And um, and then it was Freddie is sitting there, right? And John Deacon and Roger Taylor, is that that? And Freddie goes, Fishy, come sit by me. So, and I sat next to Freddie. And at one of the little round tables, standing around one of the little round tables, were Marillion and John Arnison, the Marillion management. And I've just been asked to sit at the table. And I, I kind of got, I did go high, I didn't ignore them, right? I went, hi boys, and Freddie goes, you sit, who am I to refuse, 
right? So I sat down next to Freddie, right? Opposite John Deacon and his beautiful girlfriend, and there was Brian's blah, 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 and we all started talking, and Freddie and I are talking, and we get on like a house on fire, right? And we talk, and he's, he's going like, wow, well, blah, blah, live albums. He's, he said, like, you know, live. He says, you know, you've got to sell albums. He says, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there was like, one guy for you, my, was sitting like that. He said, well, they've actually just done it. He went, oh, oh, right? And he was like, oh, yeah. And then he'd seemingly seen a little bit of our performance, and some of the guys had said, said to him, the front man's pretty good, right? And uh, so my, my rep had gone up, and Guys had said things, okay? So, and, um, and he actually asked me, he says, I've, I've got a radio mic, would you like to use my radio mic? He said, I see you're getting tangled up in leads, right? And that's a big thing, right? I mean, even with COVID, right? You know, you don't give your radio mic, a radio mic is something that's very personal, right? And you know, with the mics and everything, people gobbling down mics, you don't give, I said, use my radio mic. And I was like, oh, thanks very much. You know? and, uh, and it was like, we got on great. And anyway, party goes on, blah, blah, blah. And the thing was that what I found out later was that Marillion had gone down to the Queen encampment, walked up the door, hi, we're Marillion, and they went, on your bike, mate. So they weren't too happy with me. Then they went back to the party, right? And then when I was sitting down at the table, when I got up and turned around, basically most of them had gone. And I was left, Paul Lewis, the tour manager, was left with me. And Paul and I partied till about four in the morning. And we had a flight the next day. And the flight the next day was from Charles de Gaulle Airport. We were in an airport hotel. We somehow managed to get back to the hotel, right? And so it was Paul and I had got the cab back on our own back to the hotel, right? And um, next thing we woke up. And it was like, I was supposed to be at Charles de Gaulle Airport and we were late and Paul Lewis is screaming at me down the phone going, we gotta go, we gotta go. The band had left us because they went, if you're gonna go and party, we're off, right? So they'd left the singer in the hotel with a tour manager, right? And Paul and I got together, we ran downstairs, right, carrying, carrying luggage, went up. And it was, we were really late. And a guy walked through, the door, the guy came up in a car and he was about to get his car and I went, take us to the airport. And he did, and he was a pilot. He was a French pilot, he went, no problem. And he took me and he said, yeah, yeah. And he drove us the mile, two miles to the, the airport. We jumped off the airport, thanks mate, cheers. <laughs> Ran into the airport. This is before the days of security and scanners and stuff, walked up. And I remembered I had a kukri, a big knife in my bag. It was blunt as hell, you couldn't have cut any, you couldn't have cut cheese with it, right? But it was a cookery, nevertheless, and it was in my suitcase. <laughs> and I went, I'm going to get, and I knew I was going to get pulled when I actually went up to the aircraft. And so we, we went up, did it, and they said, open the bags. And they said, we'll have to check for your bags, so they open the bags. And there was the cookery, right? And she went, what's this? I said, it's a stage prop, it's a stage prop. I said, I need it for tonight, we're playing in front of 100,000 people. She said, no problem. <laughs> On the plane. <laughs> and that was the first, the first night we did with Queen, right? And that's where I'm going to leave it. Because you can get the next instalment or the next Special Friday, but that, I'll, I'll tell you the Mannheim story next week. But that was, that was a, how I met Freddie, right? That was that story. Why is your shirt back to front, Neil Stedman? It's not back to front. It's only back to front where you are. Where I'm on, it's perfectly fine. But that's the story of all our lives.
Oh, Marco Picarinen, carry your estia, my dad, Pacarilli. Don't know what that is, but it looks good. <laughs> is, it, is it something you put in a sandwich? Tony Wilson, struggling shit, but it's been on too long. We're fair enough. Five to seven. Jim May, hello from London, Ontario. Uh, Stefan Ahrens, how you doing? Fran Tironazulka, Neil Stedman, agree. Graham Huckin, everything is back to front. That's a selfie view. Oh, you tech experts out there. Yeah, that's why it's my entire house is back to front. When I look at the screen, it's all back to front. It's, uh, uh, Hi, Fish, do you think that Geisterfahrer will be the album that got away Trust Thompson? Geisterfahrer was an idea that I had that was getting bandied about. Uh, I'd been thinking about it in 87, but that's when I kind of came up with an idea, and it was all about Geisterfahrer. Uh, it's a very German thing where people drive up the motorway the wrong way and basically aim at a truck or a lorry. It's a kind of, it's a suicide thing. It's very dark and it's very scary. And there's been a couple, the first time I happened, it was like I heard a bus driver talk about geyser fires. He says, yeah, there was a geyser fire last night. And they had to pull in. And what happens is that the police, they radio ahead and they see geyser fire and people piece the pull in, the car goes up 140 mile an hour the wrong way, right? And um, it's, 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 it's a very scary thing. And um, I wanted to, to try and use it as a story about somebody that was going to be a geisterfahrer and about him driving the vehicle and in the back seat of the car it was going to be all these people from his life came up and there was a dialogue between the two of them and things and uh and i had an idea theater production which had like a great big back seat and you know the steering wheel blah, blah, and, and all this kind of thing and having the dog and cat chorus all the people all the dogs and cats he killed having a little chorus and shit like that and, um, and the idea was that we we're going to write an album and then have a, an album cover versions which was going to be all the songs that he had on the radio, so the theatre production would have the songs that were relevant to what was happening in the car and stuff. And, the, and it never happened. And I did think about, I did consider resurrecting it. Uh, I, I'm trying to think when. I think it was probably around about when I was putting Field of Crows together. I think I was, I was thinking about having a crack at it. And uh, there were some people that approached me about turning misplaced children into a musical and would I be interested and blah, blah, blah. And it, it just fell, it just fell to the wayside. I mean, I don't know, maybe somewhere it might be resurrected and, you know, I don't know. But it's, uh, as an idea, it's, it's, the back burner went off on it, you know. Clive Aspinall, good evening, Fish. Hello, Clive. Marco Rumpkins, 12 points from the Netherlands. Fred McQueen. <laughs> okay, I was just checking that the pause button was still on the, on the CD player because I've, right, I've lined up a section of Rosa Damascus to play, right? And I was thinking, if this goes off, because I don't have the, my CD player, my head player, you can't kind of zip forward. It's not like when you're watching PC and you can run the cursor over it. And so, and I thought, if the pause goes off, I'm going to have to fast forward the track up to eight minutes and 40 seconds to catch the bit that I want to play you, because I'm not playing it all. By the way, I'll tell you that when I can play it, right? Alan Peter Welch, was there a story about an excess? <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
I'll do that another time. I'm not doing that now, but it's a, it's a, it's a good story. It's a very good story. <laughs> now, now you're going to be going, you bastard. Liam Moran, stuck at your room in Birmingham. Credo, good, good. Kieran Ward, who are your favourite comedians? I don't know. There's, there's so many. It's, uh, um, I, I like a lot of comedy. I, I do like watching good comedy. I'm not a big fan of Ricky Gervais, and he's probably not a big fan of mine either. But it's, uh, I love Conley. I, I, I love Billy Conley stuff. I mean, not only because he's Scottish, but and you, you get in with, with the humour. But I, I loved his observational comedy, and uh, I thought that was fantastic. And um, but yeah. Oh, James McGackey saw the England-Scotland Euro 96 game on TV this week. We'd like to hear about how you got the Flower of Scotland gig. <laughs> Somebody asked me that. This is another question. Uh, wait a minute, bear with me. Uh, oh, I can't. F oh, yeah. Anita Hartman, do you still have any Anita Hartman, do you have any recollection of singing Flower of Scotland at Wembley? One of the scariest gigs that I ever, ever did. Right. I don't know how it came about. I don't know who suggested me. People knew I was a Scotland fan. And. Um, I was in the office. And the phone went, and uh, <laughs> and it was like, hello, this is the English Football Association. And I went, hello, and I'm thinking it's Chris Kimsey, the, my ex-producer, right? Who's a great friend of mine, and he does his wind-ups all the time, and I'm going, and I go, yeah, right, it's English Football Association. I went, yeah, sure, right? And he said, uh, wondering whether you'd be interested in singing the Scottish National Anthem uh, at Wembley for the England-Scotland yeah, qualifying game. And I go, Chris, stop it, this ain't funny. And he goes, no, this is the English Football Association. I went, phone me back, right? So, right, phone back. Hello, this is the English Football Association. Um, we'd like you to sing the national anthem at the England Scotland at Wembley. And I'm going like, this is real. And I'm going, can you explain more? And it's like, what do you need to explain? You'll be singing the national anthem at the England Scotland game in front of a packed Wembley that's doused full of like you know rabid fans and da 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 at a game that you've been trying to get a ticket for and blah 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 and it was uh, I went I'll get back can I give my phone and I'll get back to you and my knees were literally shaken at the thought of it right at the thought of doing it because I was my mind was projecting my mind was projecting to Wembley right. And, you know, I'd, <laughs> I'm going, I can't do this. It's like, you know, it's going to just me on my own and the voice and that's it. And, and you'd, you'd seen so many people, like, do these anthems and they couldn't be a hole deep enough to fall into, to get away from that kind of disaster area, you know? And, uh, and I said I'd think about it. And I did think about it, and I phoned up people and I said, what do you think? And everybody went, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. It's a, one, it's a once in a lifetime. I mean, this wasn't even outside the comfort zone. This was walking in a torture chamber, right? And I phoned her back and I said, yeah. I said, on the, if, if I can come, if you can come down, give me a hotel, da -da -da, and as long as I can bring my dad down, right? 
because my dad used to take me to see the Scotland-England matches and I have never, ever seen, to this day, I've never seen Scotland win a match at Wembley, right? And um, my dad used to take me down for the, the usual humiliation at Wembley, right? And I'd seen some pretty bad humiliations down there. I was at the 5-1 match, I think it was, when that, the Rangers keeper, which I can't remember his name, let in about three goals in the first 10 minutes, right? And it's like, can I go home now? Can we get the train back, right? The train, the one that stinks of vomit, right? and bevy and old people. And um, anyway, so I said, I'll do the Flower of Scotland at Wembley if my dad can come down with me and he gets tickets. Not a problem, da da da, there's your flights, etc., etc. And you know, it's Flower of Scotland, you know, I read the lyrics, memorized them, you know, I, I kind of knew what Kate was going to be in and stuff. And my dad and I traveled down to, to London Heathrow, taxi, we're staying at this amazing hotel down near Albert Hall, I can't remember the name of it. And uh, it was great, we both had suites and my dad was over the moon and the next day it was like picked up in the limo and like up to Wembley, hours before the game. And it was like, and I, was, I had to wear my kilt and blah, blah, blah. And uh, and it was Scotchio, absolutely Scotchio, right? And we got taken into the bowels of Wembley, right? And of course, I knew that Paul Carrick, um, who was making the Mechanics singer, right? Paul was going to be singing um, God Save the Queen, right? So I'm going, great, it's going to be good to make up with Paul again. We go in and we get taken to the bowels and we end up in this little room, right? And we were there for hours. We could see out the window, you could see all the fans arriving at Wembley, you know? And um, one of the things I'd said to them, I said, like, you know, you know, there's going to be Scottish fans. Oh, there's going to be the Scottish fans. Fifty percent of the crowd that are lots of Scottish fans there. They've got a huge ticket brief. Blah 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 blah. Right. I'm thinking, great, that's fine. And uh, and um, Paul Carrick here, and we get talking, and we're going like, you know, this is just, this is how you feel shooting it. Right. You feel like I'm shooting it. So mad. And of course, you had to kind of avoid. There was there was alcohol there, but you couldn't really touch. There was no way I was going to like be drinking at all when it came to this thing, right? So it's it's getting near near the day. But oh yeah, and we oh, we did a we did a check. I for, I forgot to tell you, we did a sound check in an empty stadium, right? And I had a monitor, right? I had a speaker in my mini. Right, when I was 18, it was bigger than this monitor that was in front of me. They must have bought out a Woolworths before it went before it went bankrupt, right? And I've got this tiny speaker, right? And it's all over the thing, and it's like, okay, and it's one, two, three. Ah, Scotland, right? I said, Can you just, I said, see when this happens. I said, take the monitor, and I said, I want you to just belt it up. I said, put it to 11, right? Right, just give me the volume of this monitor because I know what's going to happen. There was no band or anything by myself, right? Okay, here we go. So we did the sound check and we're going, this is really, really hot. This is like, and then back into the bills. We're sitting there going like, how are you feeling? Closer and closer, it's all building, it's all building, it's all building, right? Get then, we get dressed, da da da. There was loads of people kicking about in the area that we were in. I think Martin Peters was there and there was loads of really famous football players. And I'm just the gig, right? And Paul Carrick and I got taken down at the allotted point, da -da -da, all the way down, into the bills, down the entrails, all the way, da -da -da, out to this little thing that looked out on the Wembley turf, right? You see the green, right? 
And it was like, we're standing there. And there was people hanging over the tunnel that we were coming out of, right? And it was like, all English fans, right? And they were going, you don't want that Right? Just abuse, right? And I'm just going, okay, fair enough, you know. You know. I mean, I now know what Christians felt like before they faced lions, right? And, you know, and I'm going, they told me that there's going to be, like, loads of Scottish fans here, like, you know, half the stadium's going to be Scottish, right? And Paul Carrick's sitting next to me, and he's home team, he's smug, he's, like, laughing it up, right? So we, we said, and singing for, for England, da -da -da, Paul Carrick, right? place is going mental, couldn't hear, earmuffs, right? And singing for Scotland, and I walked out of that tunnel and I'd never seen so much red and white in my life, right? It was just red and white, right? Union Jacks, red and white, right? And in the corner, there was this little sliver of Scottish fans. That was, we had the little corner, right? And I'm going, no, and we went out and we walked out and it was the beating sun and we stood there and like with our microphones and blah, 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 and the tiny wee speakers. And I remember looking up and John Major was there and I just decided to eyeball him, right? And I was just like, it was like, you know, I'm going to give you it, right? And I, that's who I'm going to focus on, right? And we stood there and stood there and it was late and, and well, I mean, ages. And I'm in a kilt and I'm, I could feel the sweat going down the inside of my legs, right? I was so hot. And the next thing, out come the players, like they're on the all troop back, they all troop up, right? Oh, it's another wee story at the back end of this, right? So they're all trooping up and Andy Gorham was kind of like moving forward. I knew Andy, right? And Andy gave me the wink, went, all right, big man, right? And a couple of other players gave me the, the finger and stuff, right? Colin Hendry, which is the, the back end story. And um, and then it was like, we wind up and da -da, and it's like, and I'm now singing for like, you know, uh, Scotland, da -da -da. and it flares Scotland, right? Uh, brrr, boo, <laughs> just booing, right? And these Scottish fans are trying to sing it. And I, just, I kept the time, one, two, three, and I'm singing like that da, da. and they're already they've finished the first verse by the time I've finished the second line right and I'm like God, and I, and I turned around to them I went like that come on like give me it let me hear you for God's sake I can't hear Lamora and I want to hear you and I remember and when I saw the playback I think it says uh, Fish is getting the Scottish fans on I don't think there's any need for that right? <laughs> and then I couldn't hear myself singing I just I just had to I just sung through the mic and where it was, and it sounded all right, but I mean, you can hardly hear me under the Scotch fans. And it was the most frightening, I mean, it was, I mean, adrenaline. I've never known an adrenaline hit like that. And you're standing on your own with a microphone in front of a, a full Wembley crowd, right? Most of them hate your guts, right? Well, not as a singer, but like as a representative of, of the, my nation, right? The nation I'm part of, right? And, uh, and then it was like, we walked up and, and Paul and I were going, oh, fuck, that's over, right? And then we had to do the game. And I had to get changed and walk all the way around, around the whole stadium to my dad and da-da-da. And then we watched the game. And of course, there was um, with a, a brilliant goal. I mean, I've got to say, it was Gazza's goal when he, he nipped it over, over the head of um, Henry and then, then hit it on the volley and the net. That I remember. And I remember, I cannot forget watching that ball go in the penalty spot when Kevin McAllister went up to take that penalty. And I saw it move from where I was, 70 yards away. I saw that ball move just before he ran up when he should have stopped. And like, no. And it goes. And it was David Seaman who, was, who saved it, who was, I got to know 
I, I knew them, blah, blah, blah. So, but that was, that was my Flower of Scotland at, at Wembley. It was probably the most frightening vocal and the most frightening venue that I've ever done. But it was great. And I look back at it now and, you know, it was, give you a story. Yeah. Right, 10 past seven. I think we're moving up into this. Alistair Lyling and Samerdinger. See, this is it. You send in all the questions and I'm just extrapolating all these different answers. It, like... Alan Johnson, 77, still got the turf. Good on you, mate. John Watson, a lot of jazz players across both teams that afternoon. Yeah, there was. It was really bizarre. Yeah. Dan and Gerald Gelder, interesting stories at the marquee. Yeah, of course. David Barris has just joined. Daffodil. Daffodil. <laughs> the story behind that is on the Veltschmerz video, right? <laughs> when Dave was, was Dave, Dave Barris, Scott McKay did a brilliant job editing that Veltschmerz video together. It was, it was a real, it was a work of love. It was brilliant, right? And they spent endless hours doing it. And, uh, and we had to test the green screen, which is because I'm like, you know, like, I'm shot on the camera against a green screen, which means that all the other stuff was put by me. Obviously, you knew I wasn't in Finland flying above forests and stuff, right? And like, and um, so what happened was that like we, when we did the green screen, Dave took the, the footage away to do a test, right? and he sent me the test to see if the green screen worked and we could put things on. And I'd said to him, I said, you know, we'll put flowers, we'll put flowers because there's the garden motif within the Veltschmerz album, and I want to make sure that there's flowers and trees within the, the scope of the video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First time I watched it, Dave put my head up and there was a massive daffodil around my head, right? Which some of you may or may not know, but the older aficionados and the older gentlemen, especially the Genesis fans know, that Peter Gabriel wore a, a, the, the, the daffodil headdress. And I phoned up Dave and said, you taking a piss, mate, right? <laughs> oh, I didn't know, didn't realize. So there you go, Dave, daffodil. Daffodil. Uh. Audrey Nymouth, hello. Uh, William Mavers, what's your five to one setup? I need a bit of one for music. I got a Kef five to one system, which is brilliant. Uh, I got it from uh, from Kef years ago, and it's um, and it was great because I was listening to the, the five to one Avril McIntosh and Andy Garfield. Hi, Avril and Andy. Yeah, taking a break from the studio and the five to one mixes. Anyway, they set me up the five to ones and they sound brilliant. And it was, I, I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan of five to ones. You know, it's not something, I, I, I'm not, I like good stereo, you know. But I've got to listen to five to ones to appreciate it, you know, what's been done for a kickoff. But I was also really interested to hear what, what they're doing with Velschmerz because Velschmerz, the sound and the music is so big and cinematic. You know, that was what prompted me to go Avril and Andy, who'd done the clutch and the uh, straws. Uh, and the script, five to ones. Um, and Avril, I've I known for years, another story. Well, I, but they sent me up the five to ones, so I was listening to the Kefs, and it sounded brilliant, and it was really different. And it was the first time I'd heard Garden of Remembrance and, and surrounded with a full, the full wangy going on. It's great, but it's the Kef system. It's the same as the big speakers, and that is where I should do it. Callum Malcolm, right? Callum Malcolm who is the wizard of the mixes, 
right? Um, when he started doing Rose of Damascus, it was like, he said, we, we knew it was going to be a tough one and he was, he was confident in. And we've got this thing with mixes where it's like, always mix two, mix three. It's like, if you phone up or email, it's going like, you know, Steve and I talking like, you know, blah, blah, blah. We talk to Callum. And I said, well, no. and Callum's going, I knew that. I already knew that it wasn't right. And the magic number is five. And it's mix five has been the magic number on every, every, just about every song on this album. And that, you know, it's the fifth mix when it comes through. And a lot of the time, as happened with Grace of God, Callum just took a completely left field approach at the last minute and went, I've decided to do everything out. And, it, and we were doing rows. He was, he was putting rows together. And uh, we'd, it just wasn't sitting. And we all, all three of us knew it wasn't sitting right. And he delivered mix five. And it was like, it was about nine o'clock on Monday night. And I listened to it with Simona. And Simona, you know, it's the, um, for her to listen to it, if she sits through it and goes like, yeah, then I know if it's somebody who doesn't really kind of, know way I listen to it in a completely different way. But when I heard mix five, I just went, this is it. And Simona just went, that's it. She said, this is brilliant. And I immediately sent it to Mark Wilkinson. Right, because Mark had been desperate to hear it, and because uh, it's his, it's the track he's been most looking forward to hear on on, on the album, and uh, I sent him down it, and Mark just went, "This is brilliant," and he said a beautiful thing, and he said he'd read an interview with Dave Gilmore, and somebody had asked Dave Gilmore about you what he'd most love to do if he could go back and do anything again, what would you like to 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 do again? And he said, "I'd love to hear Dark Side of the Moon for the first time." And Mark said, he said, that's the way I feel about this. And as a song, it's, it's 16 minutes long, right? And I played it and then I copied it onto a, a CD. After I played it a couple of times through there, I put it in the CD and listened to it on the kefs, on the, 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 on the big system. And I wanted to hear it again and again. It was like, I was amazed just how listenable it is. And just, it's the, it's the, the trip of the whole thing. But it was mix five and what I'm going to play tonight is another section. I can't play the whole thing. I'm not going to play the whole thing. You can, you will not hear the whole thing until it is deemed. Right. So this is on pause. And this is one of the sections. This is a section I know as, as I call it the, the debris section. So have I got it on the right thing? Oh, he gets up. Cracking knees. Moves across to the hi-fi. And I didn't put that back. That's it. Blind light, it fell out of the heavens. 
It's actually it's, it's one of my favourite parts actually. It's um, it's uh, it was nice to put. Yeah, Steve done a great job on it as well. And uh, it's been it's yeah, it's it is an epic. I promise you. So, I mean, as as a lot of people said, I mean, it's it's crazy. You know, you're sitting here in this lockdown, and you're waiting to get things moving. And you know, ever you just want people to hear it. We've spent so much time and effort and energy and but you just want people to hear it but uh, but we have to be patient and wait the release will be september the 25th and as i said i mean the pre-order will be in july but that's gonna happen when we've got everything set up as i said the mail order system will be up and running probably the, the wednesday thursday next week i'll announce it when it does but i mean uh but with Weltschmerz, it's, it's it's going to be strange releasing an album in this kind of, you know, at this time. But I mean, it was great. Back in the day, it's like when we used to do promotion, I always used to call it the fireworks box. And you know, when you're EMI, they've got a big fireworks box. And you know, when they spend money, you know, on an artist, 
you know, within reason, you know, they're not like, for example, where I am, you know, when you take, you're buying an advert, you know, it's, you know, it's coming out of budget and you, so you're the only artist, so you can't go crazy, which I did do, you know, on the Suits album and, and things, but that's another story. But, um, but yeah, so with Elchmerz, you know, and the, the way I do it now, the way I explain it, all right, like working as an independent against working with a major record company, right? And I can, I'll, I'll show comparisons here, right? And the, the way I explain it is like, we are the kind of Sioux Indians, right? And the kind of big record companies, they're like the, they're like the kind of, the white hunters that come in on the trains, right? And the way the white hunters in the trains dealt with it, it was more like a factory and like the trains would pull up in the middle of here and they shoot them from the train and stuff like that. And they shoot them and all they were interested in were the, the hides, right? And so they took the hides and they sold the hides. A Sioux Indian, when he looks at a buffalo, right? He doesn't go in and, and just shoot the entire herd or whatever and, and, and take from there. They take one, buff, one buffalo and they live off that one buffalo for a while. And they take the buffalo, they take the hide, they take it, a piece of meat off it, they take the bones, they take this, they take that, they use everything. Everything on that beast, right? And they treat the beast with respect and, and et cetera, et cetera, right? But I mean, that is the Sioux, the Sioux Indian, the Plains Indians. And that's kind of where we are as an independent. When we put an album out, we have to kind of utilize every kind of area of that album, you know, to try and to earn a living because it's like, this is what we do. We don't have 20 albums, you know, to put out and if one of them sticks against the wall, then great. You know, we've got one, so we work it. So you don't use the box of fireworks, which is like, ching, bang, the album's out, da da da, sell as many as you can, like the first two, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, then put the tour out and then we'll see what goes in. It's next album, please. We work it in a different way. As, in, as independents. And we basically, we work the album and we use the album. And Velschmerz came out as a, a, a single or a, as a, a track for radio. And, uh, and I think it was, it was March. It was, the, it was immediately before the, the, the first gig in Aberdeen, the only gig, right? And I got a phone call or I got an email from my, my German guy and I said, the Velchmerz has just been uh, put on the radio antenna uh, playlist, the evening playlist, which is about 14 plays, 10 to 15 plays a week. And you just go, well, and that's further down the line. And that's how we work it. It's like, you know, when you get something happening, you know, it's like, follow it, you try and tap it up and it's all building. It's not a case of fireworks. It's a case of just smoldering, everything smoulders. And hopefully when it's out there and it's smoldered, then there's going to be a wind coming along and it'll catch fire. But I mean, at the same time, you know, you're forever, you're continually working things, you know, and it's feeding out. And that's what Velchmerz, is going to happen with You know, we don't have the budget, you know, to go out and do a big box of fireworks type promotion. So you're dependent. And even when the album comes out in September, you know, I think the album is still going to be knocking on people's doors and, you know, six months later, seven months, eight months, nine months later. But I think it's a brilliant album, but I think, you know, it's going to be found by people. It's not going to be something that's going to be, you know, everything goes up in the air. It's going to be, it's word of mouth. And I always find that it's a very honest type of promotion. It's kind of, it's long and, you know, and sometimes it can fizzle out. But I mean, that word of mouth, when somebody brand new comes in to listen to your music 
and goes, wow, this is great. And they found out it because somebody's played them something or whatever, which is the reason why I went to Spotify. I mean, <laughs> you, you don't go to Spotify to basically like, you've got to earn money, right? But Spotify, as, that was how James Cassidy sold me the, the whole digital thing, was that, um, you know, because people aren't buying albums, that um, they listen on Spotify and they're more likely to buy a concert ticket if they discover you on Spotify and people are discovered through Spotify. And that was why I went on the digital field so that more people can hear it by accident. And it's kind of worked. I mean, as, the last count, I can't remember, what was it was eight? 70,000 or something people were signed on to the, the, the Spotify account, I can't remember. But I mean, um, but it's the same as this. I mean, when I looked at many people, you know, this broadcast reach last week was like 90 odd thousand, you know? It'd be great. I mean, if I have 15,000 deluxe albums arriving in September, if I can sell all of them, I'll be a very happy chappy. Uh, but to go back to the analogy I was on about, about the Sioux Indian and, and talking about the corporate stuff and the way we work things and the way corporates work, for example, like the, the remasters, the Marillion remasters. You know, there are misplaced childhood deluxe items, uh, deluxe boxes, which we don't have anymore. Just in case you ask, we do not have the Blu-rays. They're sold out completely. And there's changing prices on eBay for ridiculous amounts, you know? And we had to actually say to somebody recently about the, the script album, somebody had ordered three and then put another order in for four. And we just said, look, we can't do that. It's like you've already ordered three, but there are other people trying to buy them. But the reason this happens is that because they've taken the, the shooting buffalo out the train. Because when Warner's put out, and I'm not having a dig at Warner's, it's, this is how they operate. I don't operate like that, this is how they operate. They put it out and they, they make up, they make so many thousand albums and then sell them. And then they do so many of the, the deluxe vinyls and then that's it. So basically what they've done is basically, they've killed all the, the, the buffalo from the train, but there's a lot of people that are coming along later on that still want them. And if it was kind of kept and fed differently, rather than being, this is the window where you can buy it and after that it no longer exists. To some people that might make sense. To an independent record company guy like myself, it doesn't, you know? And, you know, and I did say this, because I, I tried to buy some, I tried to get my hands on some other uh, deluxe Blu-rays back then and they just said that we're not printing them anymore and I'm just going this is crazy but it's uh but that's what they do you know they they, they don't opposite operate like us it's, it's um you know was it pack high sell cheap but it's not really cheap so there you go two of the martini can't wait to own it yes Andy Lynham great analogy fish thank you Marks and John hi from France Richard James Scott looking for fish fans worldwide please send friend friend request <laughs> You've just done it, mate. Cinderella Searcher did that. Tony Scrobot, how many albums do you expect to sell in 12 months? I don't know. I don't know. I, I was saying that I was talking to somebody this week and uh, Back in the day, you know, during suits and things like that, you know, I was desperate to get the big album and the big single. And <clears throat> as I said, I mean, uh, it, you know, when you put an album, you, you pinned a lot of hope and a lot of expectation on it. And, and sometimes it was, uh, you know, you allow your feet to kind of leave the ground a little bit. And, 
you you might overstretch kind of where you should be putting your promo budget and things. And you know, if I just push it just that little bit, and that's where you go, concrete. This album's completely different, and um, because it's my last album, it's kind of we've done it in a way that I think is. I can't see any other way of doing this. I mean, this is the best thing we could have possibly put together. And uh, I always said that when I, I finished my solo career as a recording artist, I wanted to leave with like, an album that was the same as with Clutch and Straws when I left Marillion. It was the best album I consider I've ever done with that band. And I want to leave my solo career with like, the best album I've done as a solo artist. And, um, and I think I've, I've, I've got it. I think the Surpasses Vigil, um, as, a, as, a, as a depth of work, as, as an album, I, I, you know, there is no fat on it. There is, there's no waffle, there's no, there's, there's no fillers at all in this. So I'm, I'm really happy about it. And the thing is, when James Casty said to me, he said, well, how are you distributing this? I said, well, we're doing mail order only. We're only doing it through here. And he said, are you sure you don't want to rethink that? And I went, well, I don't know what you're on about. He said, well, this is the, he thinks that this, is, this could take us by surprise. But my attitude is, you know, I'm not expecting anything from this album. You know, I'm not, it's not a, it's not a do or die album. It's just, it's going to be there. And what will happen to it, will happen to it. And, you know, it is, Simone and I talked about it, you know, because I mean, I've been there in, in the 90s when I've had something, you know, the misplay that Childhood album on the back of Kaylee just exploded and launched us into a completely different orbit, right? And uh, in, in some ways, actually, it, it unnerves me because I'm kind of happy with kind of what we've got here and I like where I'm at in my life and what I don't want to do is go back and get tempted back into that other hamster wheel. I don't want to go on that wheel again, you know? And like I said, it was interesting reading the Phil Collins book and the demands when he wanted to see stop and he wanted to deal with family and, you know, it kept on going and kept on going. I don't want to do that. So, I mean, what will happen, what will happen? I, I don't know what to expect with this album. I'm just, I want people to hear it. That's all I want, you know? And yes, I would like to recoup the costs in it and I'd like to get enough to kind of put away, but. Then again, I mean, whatever is going on at the moment, it would be the irony of all—irony of all ironies. They have the best album I've ever made. that sells millions, and you find that the millions that they sold is enough to buy a pumpkin in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> you find that what you're growing in the gardens actually worth more than your albums. That would be oh, a deep irony. That would be. Uh, Lisi Kent, is it being released in vinyl at all? Yeah. The Welshman's will be on vinyl, and as I said before, it's perfect because the album is about 88 minutes, 86, 88 minutes. I don't know what the exact timing is, but it fits perfectly on double vinyl. It's just like an old fashioned double album. And that's why I said before on a previous broadcast, the album will be coming as a double CD. It's not a, it's not a single, if we did a single CD, we'd have to get rid of two or three songs, which I don't want to do because this is the album, right? And it's an old fashioned double album across two CDs, right? And it fits perfectly on the double vinyl. So it's like, you know, we have 22 minutes aside, which means that the running order of the vinyl is exactly the same 
as it is across the two CDs, which is... It was nice. I like it. I like it like that. Steph Judge, what's on your mantelpiece, please? Um, stuff. Um, my wife is someone who's really into owls. She collects owls. And um, we have a load of owls in the garden and stuff, and a lot of owls in, in the house. And there's like little mini owls. There's bits and pieces of stones and things that I pick up from places. Um, it's a, uh, there's a there's a there's some stone that I picked up in Marrakesh in Morocco. There's there's a rowing boat man that I bought in Cuba when I was out on holiday. There's uh, there's something else that I bought down in, in when I was down in Chile. There's something for Costa Rica. There's there's, there's loads of but this whole house is 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 full of little bits. I mean. Not of any value, but they're a great. They all hold little personal memories for us, for both of us that we got these things. And every owl, is, every owl has got a story. <laughs> so, one of the faces of every picture tells a story. No, no, not every picture tells a story. Every owl tells a story. Now, I think we'll leave it that word. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's twenty-five to. Um, Laura Walker, how do you order it? It's yeah, it's the website is fish fishmusic dot scot fishmusic dot scot. But as I said, that's the only way you're going to be able to buy it is through us. And we're not doing. I'm not going through Amazon for whatever reasons. I'm not going on it here, but we don't sell through Amazon. And you know the thing is, I mean at the moment. You know, we've got a mail order, you know, there's no retail that's open and, you know, we're dealing a mail order and it works. And, you know, it's going to be a lot of work for Simone and I and we're going to have to bring people in when we do the, the, we do the pre-order in, in July. The album will be out at the end of September and we'll have to bring people in to help us do the packing. But, you know, we reckon that we can handle it. It's going to be a tsunami in the same way as I expect you know, with the T-shirts that are going on sale when the, when the shop opens up next week. With the, the tour T-shirts going on sale, they've been held back for months now, so it's going to be it's going to be a practice run, so we can make sure that we've got everything absolutely dotted and perfect. And Simona knows she's been doing a great job this week, just getting getting to, to head with a, uh, all the, the the new kind of setup and stuff. So by the time Velschmerz goes for pre-order, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Right. Neil Montgomery, fish. How relevant is big wedge to current global circumstances? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's strange. I mean, that whole Vigil album, there's so many songs in the Vigil album. State of Mind, Vigil itself, you know, uh, Family Business. I mean, they're all songs that are that have got, you know, present day. Um, they're very relevant to a lot of the stuff that's happening about it. It's kind of strange, you know. I mean, if you look at the Big Wedge cover, right, if you've got the Big Wedge single, take it out, right? And you'll actually see, and I, I found this, I didn't see this until years ago, and, and after the effect as well. And uh, if you look at the, the, the sleeve of uh, um, Big Wedge, Mark Wilkinson, actually, the Twin Towers, and there's a, 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 an aircraft, a civilian passenger aircraft, flying across towards the Twin Towers. And uh, that was, when I, when I actually saw that, it gave, gave me a real creep, real creep. Um, but yeah, Big Wedge is really relative. I mean, uh, it's, um, it's interesting. I was trying to buy, um, Simona needed a, a, a desktop camera, a PC camera through in the, the office. We only had the one in the house. So 
and the, my German promotion guys is some of the other promotion guys, Ron and Holland High, and um, Daniel High, and um, it was uh, they'd be thought about because we can't go out and promo trips because of the the, the self isolation and you know the last thing I want to do is to go on a promo trip of, of, of Europe and be driving about going about you know on, on a on trains and cars and radio stations and you know we don't want to be doing that just now. So they've said like, okay, if you're going to do the interviews, then you're going to have to do high quality. Da, da, da. So they're on about radio interviews, about me actually recording live on a, on a digital recorder, where we talked on the phone, and then I have to send my side of the conversation, the recorder my conversation to the radio station for them to edit and put together in the, for the radio show. And uh, so I've decided to try and find a, a really good pro camera with great sound. And I found, what was it? Uh, I can't remember which one it was. Pros, it was a Pro 120, Logitech. And it was selling for about 90 quid. And you're on eBay now, they're like 300 and odd quid. You can't find them, they're like hen's teeth. Right. And which I'm not getting, you know, junked up about. But I mean, uh, but yeah, capitalism, some of the stuff that's, some of the prices of some of the stuff that's out there is a, a bit much. As I said, you know, it's the same eBay with it. You know some of the, the the deluxe albums and things. Some of the prices, even the mass book, which you can buy through the fishmusic.scot thing, I think we were selling for eight quid or ten quid or something. I can't remember. And they were they were offering it for sale on eBay for like two hundred and fifty quid, which is just you know. But I mean, you know. Rooks, hello, Luciana, Fatima, da da da, Esther, Puyo, Rodriguez, fishmusic.scot. Yes. What's on the menu for dinner tonight? Robert Marotta. Darling! Here comes the wife. Chili con carne. Is it going to be a hot one? After your mum had her dinner. Mum doesn't do chili that well, but we have the hot one. So, chili con carne. Oh. And what? Don't forget the birthday wishes. I did the birthday wishes, yeah. Yeah, someone takes the stuff off. 22. Alistair McCritchie, will the deluxe and remasters, the, the new album be sent out? Nah, I, I can't, to be honest, I, I can't sign them. It's gonna be, it's, we're gonna be overwhelmed. And, you know, it's too much. I mean, I signed all the all the script ones and all the rest. I, I don't know how we could do it. You know, it's it's just it's so time consuming and it's it's so complicated for Simona to take orders and you know you know I can't, I can't physically sign them all and it means breaking all the cling film up and blah 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 and um, nah, it's it's not in the plans. I'm sorry, but it's uh, with the script remasters. There's not that many of them, so it was like. It was it was quite easy to do. I mean, we only had we've still got we've still got vinyl scripts left. We've still got Blu-rays left. We've got some clutch and vinyl left. Have we got clutch and vinyl left? Uh, yeah, but we had to take them off stock for a moment. Oh yeah. Doesn't allow, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Computer says no at the moment. Uh, two yeah, but yeah. So <coughs> love to, but it's physical. I'd love to give everybody a chili. A little chili plant. Yeah, thank you very much. But, uh, 
Brian H. Landsman just logged in. Could someone please mention the name of the album? The album is called Weltschmerz. Weltschmerz. It's a German name. Pain of the world. Tom Bombadil, how about a fish and Friday t-shirt? I did think about that. Uh, if you're up for it, we can maybe put together a wee design. So it's like, you know, Fish and Friday put the lockdown dates. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it'd be cool. I am. I've got, I phoned up my friend John Reck in Luxembourg and he does cartoons and stuff. He's got a friend of cartoonists. I'm trying to get him to put together a Funny Farm logo, Funny Farm Kitchen Garden t-shirt and stuff and like Funny Farm things so I can get hats and things. One of the things we've got is those buffs. We've got green and white uh, buff, the, the masks. One of these things. So we've got, I've got a green and white one this year. We've done blue and white, it's green and white this year. That's coming in four weeks. But I mean, bah, 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 you know? Right. Oh yeah, somebody asked me. <laughs> this is true. Um, they said, let me see if I can find the question. Uh, bear with me a minute. Uh, is it true? This was basically to do with the Hamiodian. And in the Hammersmithian dressing gown. Yeah. Oh, here's one. George Cruikshank, salt and sauce or salt and vinegar and chips? Salt and sauce. I'm an East Coaster. It's a Scottish thing. Uh, let me find the name. Bear, bear with me, bear with me. Uninvited guest. Billy Pickett, no, I had nothing to do with it. I don't, you know, I've no idea what it was. Well, I know what it was. People said it was a bit of a dig. I never took it as a dig. Uh, oh, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Can't find you. Somebody asked about the Hammersmith Odeon. Was I the only person that signed the ceiling of the dressing room? Yes, I was, right? When I first played, I used to go to the Hammy Odeon before Marillion sent the EMI. I used to go down there and I knew a lot of the security guys. You know, the guys that worked with Queen, a lot of them, when they weren't out with Queen or when they weren't working on there, they'd work at the Hammy Odeon. So I got to know a lot of these, a lot of, of ex-army guys. And uh, especially the doorman. There was a, there was a couple of the doormen at the, at the back, the main doorman for the backstage area. I can't remember his name. It was so long ago. And anyway, I, I used to go into the... Lemmy was always in the, the upstairs bar at the, at the, um, the Hamiodian. And there was, well, it was a tiny little bar right at the very top. I used to be up with people up there and stuff like that. And sometimes you could, you'd just go in for a drink at the Hamiodian upstairs bar. Lemmy was always in, right? But, um, but yeah, so the first time I did it, I actually signed... There was an area where you came in the, back, you came in the, the backstage door, right? And then there was a little area where you went through the stage and then there was a door and then there was another little area before the, the, the actual dressing room door downstairs, which was the main dressing room when we were playing it. And I, the first time I did it, I just signed, I signed the ceiling and I put the date of our gig, the first two gigs. Well, I signed it twice and put the, the, the dates in. Oh, you know, 1983. And the guys, I thought I was going to get a telling off. And he's, the guy said to me, he says, you're the only person we allow to mark the Hammersmith Odeon dressing rooms. And he said, because you're right in the ceiling, because you're the only bastard that can get up that high, we'll let you off with it, right? And every time Marillion played the Hammersmith Odeon, I put another fish signature 
on the ceiling in that little area between the dressing room and the, and the actual stage door, right? And it was all signed, fish with a date in it. And, I, that was, and they were there for ages until the inevitable paint job wiped them off, right? right. Oh, made in rock like a fishing Friday shirt. No problem. I'll, I'll get a wee design made up. I'll see what you think of it. Uh, to Justin Ross, John Watson. Did you hear your old fellow EMI signed artist David Coverdale was retiring next year? He says age 69 is an appropriate age for the White Snake singer to retire. There you go. It's like, you know, we all got to do it at some point, you know. Dave covered all stories next week. <laughs> uh, Robert Monroe loved the green and white. Can you step up on a fishing Friday? Yes, 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 yes. Nick Davis. Uh, okay. Let's get our last question to deal with. Uh, Sue Adamson. Yeah. Okay. Let's find a question to go out on. Uh, wait a minute, bear with me, bear with me. It's very good. Uh, oh yeah, let's see. Drive-in cinemas concerts, right? This is what they're on about. Right? We still don't know what's happening with the. We still don't know what's happened with the tours. We don't know what's the live dates, right? And somebody mentioned this. It was it was uh, it was Kai actually, Kai R. Joachim, who does a lot of my photos. He's been doing my photos for the last couple of years. And Kai said, "We've got a good idea to get round the whole self isolation, but drive in cinema gigs, right? And so basically, what you do is there's a big there's a, like a festival stage." and people driving in cars to go and see you in a festival. I couldn't imagine anything more horrific, right, than standing on a stage and playing to cars. Right, no. It's like, you know, it's desperate promoter art. No, I mean, I can't, I, I could, I never even saw the reason, I mean, to, to go see a drive-in cinema, staring through a windscreen at a cinema screen with a pair of speakers on your cars, Never ever attracted me. I never understood how Americans got into that whole idea of driving cinema, you know, and um, and sitting in a car watching a gig <laughs> and honking your horn at the end of the songs or in beat. You imagine that? It'd be a nightmare, right? So, you know, honking horns in 138 or whatever, you know, <laughs> garden party. <laughs> No, no, it's, we're just going to have to wait and be patient. I mean, no. But I mean, I have been approached for, for to do these, these as, as in Scotland, you imagine that? It's like, you know, doing a, do, having a, like a festival set on a hill with driving cars and it pissing down the rain and like, you know, the, 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 just getting pulled out by a tractor. <laughs> Thousands of cars getting pulled out by tractors. No, no. So, here we are. It's Fish and Friday, that's another hour and 45 minutes. It's a gig, you know, it's a gig. Right. So um, I'll have to make sure I get out of this, because like, when I eventually go back on tour, 
we'd do a number and then talk for an hour and 45 minutes. Without just one number a night. Uh, that's an idea. <laughs> but yeah, so this weekend gardening, it's getting together and I've got two days to really start rattling through some stuff here. And then next week is a definite, honest to God, Mark Wilkinson, I will be at the PC. Next week, I've got to get two and a half thousand words together for the sleeve notes of Elchberts that I have been procrastinating over for ages. And I don't know how to start it. I've got to find an in, but I have to find an in. And I'm moving into that position where I have to deal with it. Um, I've got to talk to Miles Scarron about... Miles, if you're watching. Rob, I know you're watching. Hi, Rob. And then, Daffodil. And um, Miles uh, is putting together the animation and I've got to film green screen. And because we're getting slightly more relaxed up here, we're going to have to set up something so we can socially distance and film some green screen for Miles so you can insert it with the animation. And I've got to start putting this Blu-ray together. I'm Avril and Andy are all forging ahead with a five to one. Callum will have all the mixes finished by the end of this week. Also, all the audio mixes should be done, so we've got the new remixes of Waverly Steps. Little Man What Now, Man With A Stick to go all the new stuff. And hopefully, this time next week, I might, just might have a complete album. Not to play to you, but for me, right? Just me, right? And Steve. Steve gets one, I get one. And uh, so I can listen through to it. And then we've got to put off the, start putting all the pieces together properly. And we've got to be extra double triple careful because that is where you make the mistakes it's in the next section of the putting togetherness of stuff and it's like that's when you do things like you spell the name of the album wrong right and things like, like really obvious stuff you've got to go through with a nuclear toothpick right every single thing and uh so that's kind of where i'm going to be heading next week so there's a you know the garden gets kind of moved across to the side a little bit and i shift really into doing some hardcore uh, album prep and then I'll run through that it's a bit like gardening where you go through these periods of like really intense activity and then you break away and then it's like then you kind of sit back for a bit and then it's really intense activity because once I've done this and we've got to deliver all the parts including all the stuff for the double vinyl we've got to deliver all them by mid-July and then after mid-July it's like we go back into the lull again and I'll be uh, that's, that's going to be a bit strange but it's uh, um but yeah, I mean, I'm amazed how busy we've been. I mean, I do take the moments, you know, my wife and I, Simone and I do take our lovely moments together where we can sit outside in the sun when there, there is the sun and, you know, have a couple of beers and listen to some music in the house. And, you know, we do get those times. There's times, I've had some great times in the garden last week, just watching the stuff coming together which you can see on the Funny Farm Kitchen Garden pages. The water feature thing is going up this week. But I mean, it's okay. You know, we're, we're, we're dealing with it. You know, as I've said before, we're, we're really lucky that, you know, we have what we have. And I don't take it at all for granted. And, you know, it's, I'm loving the nature. I'm loving the growing. I'm loving the peace and quiet. It's uh, it's been it's been pretty cool, um, but you know, as I said, I mean we're kind of isolated in, in, in isolation ourselves. My mum's doing good; she got a new jigsaw, but she's been out in the garden for a while. Liam's, uh, well now, big question about what happens to him now he's left school, so university's up. 
my daughter Taz, she's got a new place across in Fife and hopefully I'll be seeing her soon. But we're doing okay, we were healthy, you know, we look after ourselves. Um, I'm gonna, if, if, if my torn tendon holds up, I'm gonna try and get on the, the cross trainer this week and start get some decent exercise. But thanks for listening. Uh, I hope you're okay. Uh, I really do look forward to this. It's like my wife was saying today, this morning I said today, it's like, you know, it's Friday. And I can't believe how fast the week goes just to get into here. It's great. But, but it's good. So I'll have some more news for you next week and I'll play something else. I was going to play James Last, but that's the James Last question I'll do next week. We've got cover. Dave Coverdale, James Last, and I'll find out what I wants to do. Um, and so, uh, my chilli con carne awaits, and um, I raise an Erdinger to you all. Take care, stay healthy, stay alive, and stay chilled through it all. Um, love it. Um, yeah, thanks for being out there. Bye.